with Will Brewer. I am Colby Daniels, fresh off of a pay-per-view weekend, UFC 274 in the books, not to mention uh, simultaneously taking place one of the biggest news items in the sporting world. Canelo Alvarez happened to be fighting on Saturday night. I don't know if you've heard that name or not, but uh, Will, what a wild Saturday night it was in the combat sports world. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I mean, nothing at all comes to mind. Uh, there's no way that there was anything of note that took place on Saturday, is there? Not that I know of, man. I think we're just going to have to wing it for the next uh, hour and a half or whatever. So, I mean, I guess we're just going to have to, you know, find it. As my basketball coach would always tell us, let's, let's find our energy today. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. We're just going to have to wing it. Let's see how far we get. <laughs> that was, and and I'm, I'm lumping Canelo in with this because it was a big part of, obviously, Saturday night and just the weirdness that was this card, but... Look, the weirdness began with the Charles Oliveira weight situation on Friday, right? So y- there's there's somewhat of a big cloud hanging over this event before it ever takes place. You add Cowboy Cerrone, who was on the main card, pulling out of this with food poisoning. So already, the bookends of this main card, the pay-per-view portion, have been somewhat interrupted with Cowboy pulling out of the fight. That fight is scratched. And then on the other side, at your main event, the champion of the weight division misses weight with obviously some some interesting circumstances about people messing with the weight. I mean, to the point that Dana White even commented about this after the fact, saying that maybe we need a security guard to uh, be in the room with the scale before these fighters actually weigh. So I think the, the weirdness began way before the fight card even started, but then everything that took place while simultaneously keeping an eye on what was happening with Canelo it was just a, like, when Saturday ended, I just thought, like, holy shit, that was weird, man. What a weird combat sports night it was. You know, I think that this year has gone particularly smooth. Like, uh, especially the pay-per-view portions. Like, I feel like we haven't really had any, like, anything really major happen to these cards. They've, they've come and um, they've kind of, we've kind of gone through unscathed. So I guess going into this one, we kind of weren't, definitely weren't expecting anything out of the, uh, out of the ordinary to happen. And then just bomb after bomb after bomb just, just happens. And it was just, like you said, it was just weird, man. Uh, it was, it was really unfortunate with, with Charles cause this, that's so unprecedented. Like, uh, we, you never see a champion miss weight. Um, it's the first time that it's ever happened. And Charles has, He's had weight misses in the in the past, but it's been at featherweight. And since he's been champion, I mean, he, he's been very consistent when it comes yep. to weight. So um, it was very it was very surprising, very unfortunate. And then, how sick must have Cowboy Cerrone must have been for him to miss? Because like, I mean, we we talk about how when he gets in there, you know, he doesn't always start well. And you know, the Conor McGregor fight happened, and it didn't really seem like he wanted to be there, but. At the at the root of it all, Cowboy's a fighter and he will fight. He takes fights on short notice. Like he's 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 a fighter at heart. So for him to yeah. for him to go down like that and you know not even make it to the fight, he must have really really been sick. Uh, and, and definitely feel for Joe Lozon having to uh, you know find that out on fight day. Um, and then you know Daichi, I feel like you know despite you know even though he had you know still a chance to to make the, to make weight and become champion and stuff. You know, I'm sure that that was, you know, a, a real shock for him to hear that Charles Oliveira is having weight issues. So, I mean, yeah, it was just a weird, yeah. weird, weird weekend as a whole. Yeah, like it didn't it's weird because it didn't change my excitement level for that fight specifically. But 
it, it just it did feel like there was like a cloud hanging over it now. And I don't know if that had any impact on Gaethje or not. Uh, certainly, it, it doesn't seem to have an uh, impact on Charles Oliveira by any means. But, you know, it was something that like I knew was there. Uh, and it uh, again, I was just as excited when that fight started as I would have been otherwise. But you do have that in the back of your mind. And, and uh, you know, let's let's just get into it. That main event will was unbelievable and i mean I, that it, it all happened in a round like i feel like we had we have so much to talk about and this fight was three minutes and 22 seconds into round number one we got the finale and i think there are several things at play here just like the quick synopsis like basically as soon as the fight starts charles Oliveira has rocked justin gaethje which is like already it, like a massive shock to begin with like justin gaethje's wobbly five seconds into the fight then Gaethje drops Charles twice, and you thought the end was near, and then Oliveira drops Gaethje and, and finishes the fight. Like, as soon as it went to the ground, I think we all just kind of thought, okay, this is, this, is, this is done. But all of that happened in such a short time period, but at the same time, it was just like, it felt like there were layers to that first round that, that were so fascinating. Like, mind blown. What a crazy round that was. Yeah, um, Charles, uh, man, I'm blown away by his performance because... All that he had to deal with, the weight miss, he's getting stripped of the title. Um, I, right away when he missed weight, I was like, I mean, that's more cause for me to believe that Gaethje's going to win this because he's already lost to the scale. So when the fight starts, man, and he rocks him with, with the very first shot that he threw, the very first shot, I was like, wow. And then I don't think Gaethje really had his legs, uh, you know, really underneath him for the rest of the fight, man. Uh, uh, it kind of it seemed like Justin... He went out, was going off instinct instead of like really what the game plan was. I mean, because automatically you're rocked in the first, you know, couple seconds into the fight. I mean, you're going off instinct, and now his Justin's instinct is to is to be in a war. And I and I feel like um, he wasn't really. I didn't really see many leg kicks. It was just kind of Justin just throwing haymakers because he's like, "Fuck this! Like, what's up? Uh, if I'm going down, I'm going down swinging." So, and and man, he dropped Charles twice. Uh, and then one of them was a delayed knockdown. Like Charles got punched and then went down as he's yeah. he throwing a kick. Uh, so I definitely thought that uh, that Gaethje was gonna was gonna finish him. But you know, you see, and you've seen this with with every guy that he's fought that's dropped him, Chandler, Poirier, and now Gaethje. They're so worried about that submission threat, even if Charles is rocked, that when they drop him, they're not going down to to finish the job. Uh, and, and I feel like, you know, Gaethje maybe could have, you know, landed a few shots and maybe, you know, you could have seen what happened. But that submission threat, it's it's so it's so large that these guys don't even want to test it out. Um, but uh, Charles, just to go just to go in there and automatically get into a firefight. I mean, I thought that if if it's a firefight, he's not surviving that with Justin Gaethje. Like, I mean, he did it with Poirier, who yeah. likes to settle in the fights. He did it with Chandler, who uh, who gas himself out in the first round but i was like if he, if he does this with justin justin is going to finish him but charles beat justin at his own fight in his own fight like i'm completely blown away by yeah. that performance three minutes and and however many seconds it was was all it took for, for charles to finish him i'm i am blown away i can't i can't believe it first thought have we completely underrated charles Oliveira's power because he knocked out michael chandler uh, I know he didn't knock out Poirier, and really, I thought the devastating blow that changed the Poirier fight was that knee to the body uh, that Poirier visibly did not like. I don't know. I, I don't. I need to go back and watch it, but I don't remember there being a punch 
from Oliveira that necessarily like ever put Poirier in jeopardy, but he knocked out he knocked out Chandler and and before he he you know landed the big shot he had landed another one that um you know led to the 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 big shot that took Chandler out um which which obviously like Chandler felt his power and uh had a visible reaction to same thing with Gaethje he lands the big power shot basically as soon as the fight starts and then again 3 minutes later like i i think we've all looked at how well rounded Charles is we've all looked at you know how good he is, especially with the elbows and knees and the clinch, and obviously the ground game is where. I mean, he's the he's the all-time uh, winningest submission threat in UFC history. So it's probably really easy to overlook the power. But like my first thought when he rocked Gaethje, Gaethje has a great chin. You know, I think for that matter, Michael Chandler has a great chin, right? Like we saw Chandler and Gaethje in a war. Like have we all, and I I mean everybody in the UFC world, collectively slept on Charles Oliveira's power in the stand-up? Yes, we have we have underestimated his power, but I think beyond the power, it's the timing of the shots yeah. and just like how technical it is when when these shots come. Because like I think with Gaethje and Chandler, you know that you're going to take some shots. Like you're going to be in a war and like you're going to be throwing haymakers back and forth. So, but with Oliveira, it's the how technical he is and like how he how the timing of his shots, um, the ones that you don't see coming. And I know that Chandler didn't see that left hook coming because he looked completely <laughs> surprised yeah. by that shot that he was going down. Same thing with uh, with Gaethje. First shot that, that comes at him, it completely takes his legs out. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're completely – we're going to have to start acknowledging his power, not maybe on the lines of his submission, but we've got to start realizing, like, this guy's got power in the stand-up, uh, and, like, he's, he's very well-rounded. We've got to give him credit everywhere. Maybe not with um, – takedown offense i guess because he he's really only shown like really body lock takedowns but uh as far as striking the knees the uh the, the leg kicks and everything uh along with the punches and then the submission yeah. like charles has got it man yeah uh thought number two and you you already hit on this but uh I, i've uh normally i try not to listen to a bunch of of ufc podcasts before we record and then i go back and listen afterwards but uh this week i i uh, did listen to a couple podcasts and um and and even on social media i've seen this reference so it's an interesting point to me and i think we're probably uh on the same side of this but it's been pointed out in multiple places that justin gaethje was not very disciplined in this fight and that he is very much like brawler gaethje right and i think like going back to the Tony Ferguson fight, and I think even the Chandler fight, this is true. Maybe you disagree. I think we've seen a much more um, like game plan oriented Justin Gaethje, uh, a guy that is um, much more thought out in terms of his approach than just like rock'em, sock'em robots, right? Like throw the Khabib thing out because I think that was more him just like leg kick and run, leg kick and run, right? Like he just didn't want to, uh, that, that was just chaotic because he didn't want to get taken down because he knew once he did, he was on the ground. But like, I think with, you know, Chandler was taking his biggest shots, and even with that, like, Gaethje wasn't going all out to try and finish the fight. Like, he was still, I thought, at least, somewhat reserved. Now, was he trying to knock him out? Of course he was, but I didn't feel like he, like, sold out to get the knockout. Like, he, he stayed within the framework of, of what they wanted to accomplish, and the Tony Ferguson thing as well. Like, he was so precise and on point and not getting outside of himself— and I think the one thing that really stood out to me in this fight was the fact that he did get rocked. Literally, the minute the fight started, it threw him into brawler mode. And like you said, like, I don't know if he ever fully got his legs under him, but I thought his mindset was that, like, he was in panic mode because he had been rocked as soon as the fight starts, so he never really settled into trying to be somewhat methodical with his striking. 
yeah, he he never had a chance to uh, to really uh, get into his game plan because he got rocked a few seconds into the fight. Like I go back to that Poirier fight, and I think that was the last time that we saw the brawler, yeah. uh, Gaethje that we saw on Saturday. But since then, he's been on this run. Like he's fought. Uh, I don't, I'm gonna try to name all these names off the top of my head, but like he's fought. James Vick knocked him out. Edson Barbosa knocked him out. Uh, went to Tony Ferguson and completely annihilated him. Cowboy. Uh, Mike, uh, Cowboy. Yeah. yeah, annihilated Cowboy. Um, uh, who's the last guy? He, oh, Michael Chandler. So yeah. all these guys, I mean, even though he's got, he got knockouts in a lot of those fights, it wasn't just like I'm going to go in here and get in, into a firefight. He's really finding his shots. Yes. Uh, very game plan oriented, just like you said. Um, and I, I think it, it was it, – it was very much on display with Tony. Um, and that was like Michael the culmination Taylor. of all of the the work that he had put in, right? Absolutely, because and he he really wanted to put him out, and but then he went into the corner after like the second or third round, and Trevor told him like, "Hey, you're trying to kill him? Just just seventy, eighty percent." And then yeah. he just goes out through the rest of the fight and puts on a puts on a show. Same thing with Chandler. I mean, even though that fight was fight of the year, it was a brawl and everything. That fight. Like it could have been more chaotic. Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not, that fight could have been more chaotic if Justin Gaethje was the um, was the maniac that he was before the Poirier loss. Well, he would have looked like was... Michael Chandler if he was that guy, right? Like Justin Gaethje came yes. out of that looking pretty good because he he wasn't wild Absolutely. and chaotic. Like he did take some shots, but he was so measured in his approach that it, the result wasn't him getting hit as much as he possibly could have. Right, but the only thing, the only difference is no one has hurt him to the extent that Charles right. hurt him in that in that first round with the first punch. His legs weren't under him, and then he's just like, I'm going to go into brawl mode. I'm going to swing for the fences. I mean, because those punches that he was throwing, they were haymakers. They were very sloppy. Uh, he's falling all over the place. Like, uh, we haven't seen that Gaethje in a long time. And, it, and it's not because, you know, he went into that fight thinking that I'm going to brawl. It was just because he got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I think he got hit with a big shot. He he was wobbled, and it was like I need to finish this, or I'm gonna I, I'm not gonna make it. Was the way that I perceived it. And again, I ever you know the beautiful thing about this sport is everybody perceives these things differently. And and even uh, on scorecards, when it goes that direction, everybody has a different interpretation of how you score rounds. But zero part of me just thought like, oh, this is just undisciplined Gaethje. As much as it was like, holy shit, the guy got rocked five seconds into this fight, and now he's like in panic mode, just trying not to get finished and trying to finish the fight himself. Uh, I don't think, I, I would guess that zero percentage of Justin Gaethje's thought process in that fight was that Charles Oliveira at some point was going to rock him. Like, I, right. I think that he was very worried <laughs> right. about this fight. I think he was very worried about this fight getting on the ground and Charles Oliveira winning that way. But like, if you, if you could put the truth serum inside of Justin Gaethje, I feel like he would say zero part of me was worried about Charles Oliveira rocking me when we're trading stand-up punches. And the fact that it happened as soon as the fight started, it was like, oh shit, he hurt me in the stand-up, plus I have to worry about him on the ground. Like, I need to just throw and try and win this. And immediately you saw him throwing giant shots. Uh, and, and again, landing to, and then I think the other part of this that's really interesting to me is the fact that I think we both picked Gaethje for the same reason. We saw Charles take shots from Michael Chandler, he survived and got the finish. So I'm taking shots against Poirier, survived, got the finish. I didn't think he would survive those same shots from Justin Gaethje. He did. So now I think not only have we underestimated Charles Oliveira's punching power, maybe we've somewhat underestimated his chin, but at the same time, Will, I kind of wonder, and it was very evident in this fight because Justin Gaethje didn't want to jump on top of him and the, the, you know, the broadcast crew made such a big deal about 
um, you know, how there's this built-in advantage for Charles Oliveira to go down. Like, how much of him taking a big shot is there, like, of course you would want to go down. Like, standing up for him taking a big shot isn't advantageous at all. In fact, it's so much more advantageous to go down. Like, is it almost, like, built-in, like, hey, man, if you do take a big shot, get to the canvas, let this guy jump on you, and then the fight's where you want it to be anyway, despite you being on the wrong end of the, the shot that sent you there. Like, I wonder how much of him going down in all three of the, you know, like, like maybe he embraces when he does get hit going down. Because the delayed shot to me was what really made me think that. Like, he got hit with a big one, and then it was like a delay, and then he went down, and I thought, like, he got hit with a big shot. He's obvious, like, it impacted him, but, like, if if there was money on the line for him to stay on his feet, I feel like he probably stays on his feet, but him knowing how advantageous it is to go down, like, I wonder if he had that thought, like, I'm wobbled, maybe I just need to go all the way down and wait for him to jump on top, and then the fight's where I want it to be. So I wonder how much of that is game plan, is, is ultimately my point. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I didn't really think about that, but now that you mention it, when he, with that delayed knockdown, um, you know, with the, with the way that he went down, it did kind of seem like, you know, maybe he is waiting for someone to come down, or waiting for Gaethje to come down, but at the same time, like, that's why these guys don't even mess with <laughs> going right. down there with them. Like, just in case, like, like how hurt is he? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, is, he, is, is he hurt enough for me to go down there and finish him? Or is he hurt? Because when, when he goes down, he kind of prepares for them to come down. Yeah. Like, in a way. Yeah. He kind of prepares for them to, like, try to land a shot. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to throw my legs around him for a triangle or something crazy like that. So I think all these guys are kind of studying him going down like, ah, like he's got to, his eyes got to be glazed over or like he's got to be um, near uh, unconsciousness for me to really just go after go after him on the ground because it, it, it's so dangerous. Uh, Charles is, it, you know, like you said, he's got the most submissions uh, in UFC history. So he, he, he's a finisher and, and now he's adding uh, punching punches to that. Like uh, Charles is the man right now, man. So 155 has been my favorite division forever. Uh, my favorite two fighters in the entire sport are Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. They've both had two title shots each, both 0-2 in those shots. They consecutively lost title shots to Khabib, and then they consecutively have lost title shots to Charles Oliveira. Um, you know, part of me, like, I, I, I think the world of Khabib and, and how incredible he is. And I've always felt like, you know, maybe part of that is, like, him annihilating the two guys that I cheer for the most. Uh, the way that he did, and and how easy, essentially, he kind of made it look with both of those guys. And Charles Oliveira has kind of done the same thing, although much in a much more entertaining way, because you have moments with both Gaethje and Poirier where you think they've got him, and then it just completely is turned on its head. And uh, holy cow, man, it's like the weight thing to me now is such a bummer, because if you look at Charles Oliveira, and some people are going to remember it this way, but unfortunately the record book won't, Charles Oliveira in three straight title fights... And if you rewatch the the fights themselves, it's like, holy shit, that was awesome. Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier, and Justin Gaethje? My God, man, that is, what a run. That, like, that is Hall of Fame caliber. Yeah, and then he's got Tony, something that Khabib doesn't yeah. have. Tony's one of the best lightweights of all time. I mean, you look at the losing streak now, but I mean, this is a guy that won 12 straight fights, was an interim champion. Uh, he's got that on his resume. He's got Kevin Lee, and he's got, like, uh, past like generations like he's got um it's either joe lozon or jim miller he's got one of those guys on there i think he's got clay guida on there he's got kevin lee on, on his resume so um he's got losses and everything but i mean throughout this run especially he's got names um he's and and now with these past like four to five fights like you, you could put that resume up against any lightweight 
that's ever existed. And you could say like Charles might be the, the best one ever. But it's just so unfortunate yeah. that we're at this point now yeah. and he's not the champion anymore. It's just uh Yeah. He is, but he isn't. Tough. You know, it's like it's uh it's he's so the, weird. He's the champion. Right. He's the champion, but like yeah. Yeah, but the record book isn't ridiculous. gonna show right now that he has three uh two title defenses, right? Like that's the unfortunate part is that like that's not a title defense against Justin Gaethje on the resume, which sucks. Because like you said, like you look at his last five fights, that lineup is Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Chandler Poirier, Gaethje. The only one he didn't finish was Tony Ferguson, and that was c- complete domination for uh, for what I, I don't I don't remember if that was a main event or not. I don't think it was. Well, that, that was just three rounds. Okay, but yeah, that was complete domination for 15 minutes. Um, you know, even if you think back to it, like it took him three rounds to finish Kevin Lee, but since he's, I mean, since the Tony fight, finishes Chandler in round two, finishes Dustin. I mean, the the minute that round three starts, Gaethje in round one, uh, what an incredible run and. You know, we talked about this last week. Like, I wanted to make it a point after we both picked Justin Gaethje that we gave Charles Oliveira some time to, like, talk up how good he is. Because I, I genuinely, last week, like, thought he deserved that at least. Um, and now here we are. Like, he does it. Um, I'm shocked in the way that it happened. Not shocked that he won. I guess shocked in the way that it happened and the way that that fight went and the, the fact that he rocked Gaethje as soon as it started and then got rocked twice himself, which I didn't think he would survive. And, um, I mean, Charles Oliveira, holy cow. I... I, I like, I don't even have the, the adjectives at this point other than like, holy cow, or I guess I could go holy shit to really emphasize it. But man, <laughs> this dude is uh, he just keeps, you know, I say surprising us, although we, we did give it up to him last week. But like I said, I didn't anticipate that it would happen in that way. Yeah, we're just we're finally going to start giving him the giving him his flowers. Like, not that we weren't, but it's just like now, like we get it. Like, we understand, like, there's no um he has no chin or he has no heart. Like this guy, we we're gonna have to start recognizing him as a champion, as one of the best fighters in the world. Like I can remember when he fought Kevin Lee, uh, watching it and thinking, like, oh man, Kevin Lee must like I was putting it on Kevin Lee instead of realizing how good Charles Oliveira was because yeah. Charles Oliveira was really piecing up Kevin Lee, and up to that point, like Charles Oliveira was showing his striking a little bit, but I I didn't think it was like that, but. He literally for, forced a shot out of Kevin Lee and then wrapped him up in a uh, in a guillotine and choked him out. So I'm like, man, Kevin Lee, you know that that, that that's on you. Yeah. Then he goes to, to the Tony Ferguson fight, completely annihilates him, and I'm like, man, Tony must be on his way out, you know, like yeah, uh, Tony must not have it anymore. And then now he's he's fighting for the title. Well, and then Chandler, like, like the narrative was, I mean, Michael Chandler had him dead to rights, and yeah. that was on Chandler letting that that one slip away. Right. Not as much about Charles. Right, same thing. And, and then, then Dustin, with, with the same Corey. thing. Yeah, same Dustin thing. had him hurt yeah. and just w- didn't put him away, and then Dustin gave up, right? Like, that was the narrative, especially at the beginning of the third round where it didn't even seem like Dustin had any resistance to Charles getting his back in the first place. Like, it was more about, I thought, negatively on Dustin and negatively on Chandler than, like, propping up Charles Oliveira. Yeah, and that's how it's been throughout this whole, yeah. throughout this run until until Saturday. Once he did what he did, what he did to Gaethje, like, there's no... Like, this has happened too many times. We can't just keep being like, oh, right. Gaethje went in there undisciplined. Like, for me, I'm like, no, F that. Charles, this was a uh, Charles win more than this was a Gaethje loss for me. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm completely blown away. Like, I, I still can't believe because I, I said it last week, man. I said, I just don't think that he's going to survive the type of fight that I think this is going to be. Because he runs across the cage. He gets right into the guy's face. I'm like, if he does that with Gaethje, he's not going to survive yep. that. And not only did he do just that. He literally robbed Gaethje with the first punch. Like it's, it's so incredible what what this guy's turned into, man. And he's only thirty two. 
That's yeah. what's even more crazy. But with the, I mean, the experience old, of like a 40 year old in the octagon, right? Like he's been doing this forever. Like if you were to ask me how old I, you, I thought that Charles Oliveira was, I probably would have said he's at least 35, 36. Yeah. No, he's 32 years old. Like OSP, for instance, I was literally shocked that he's 39 years old because right. he's been in this game for a while, but I don't feel like he's been in the game longer than Charles Oliveira, and he's only 32 years old. It's yeah. incredible. You know what? The, the best part about this is like the people that watched Charles Oliveira a long time ago have been the, the people that are slower to come around to him being this good. And I feel like the people that are more new to the sport came around to it much sooner because they're not comparing him to old Charles Oliveira while, while everybody else is. So it's almost like the fresh set of eyes are the ones that are actually telling the truth. The eyes that remember Charles Oliveira 10 years ago are lying to you because you, you've you got that image of who he was somewhat playing a factor in how you view him. Absolutely. Like, I, I'm a person who's seen, like, I don't even remember when he debuted. I, they say that it was like tw- uh, 2010. So this was a, around the time that I started watching. Yeah. But I can remember, like, I remember him when he fought Max Holloway and then the little, the, the esophagus injury. I'd never seen anything like that before. Like, I still don't even know, like, how he got hurt. It was just, like, it went to the ground, and then just, like, he was just started tapping out. It was it was so weird. But, you know, he's got lots of, like, Paul Felder and, you know, like, guys that he that probably, he probably wouldn't lose to now. Uh, Anthony Pettis, you know, um, uh, Frankie Edgar, I believe. So, like, if you put him in there with him now, I mean, I'm sure Charles would have his way with him. But back then, it, you know, he, would, he was just so inconsistent. And there was just... He just had he was just so young. And you you like now you look back at it like this was Charles and he's 25, 26, 27. Like now he's entering his prime and he's actually like showing like how good he is and he's continuing to evolve. He's his his other skills are starting to catch up with his with his great submission skills. So he's in his prime, man. He's one of the best fighters in the world. How many fights does he have in the UFC? Isn't it like 30 ish? Yeah, it's it's got to be in the 30s for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to run over. I just pulled up his, uh, his resume on tapology.com. Um, is there a case to be made that Charles Oliveira is the most exciting fighter in the UFC? Cause listen to this. Like sometimes I think guys get the, you know, like guys become underrated because like Usman and Volkanovsky, we've had both these conversations recently. So this is a good example. Like there was a period of time where I felt like people didn't really value Usman as a champion because he had this long winning streak, but they, it was like 90% decisions. Right. Same thing with Volk, right? Like he has this long win streak, but like 90% of them were decisions. And it's like you almost need that highlight, if you will, to kind of validate for a lot of people to validate like how dominant you are. Charles Oliveira, going back to his first fight in the UFC, Darren Elkins, round one finish. Um, Escudero, round three finish. Then he gets finished by Jim Miller, gets finished by Cowboy, finishes wisely. Finishes Brook, uh, Brookens, gets finished by Cub. He has a, okay, here's the first decision. Decision lost to Frankie Edgar. Um, finishes Ogle, finishes Hioki, finish, uh, oh, no, sorry. Decision Jeremy Ste- went over Stevens. Finishes Nick Lentz, gets finished by Holloway, finishes Miles Jury, gets finished by Pettis, gets finished by Lamas, finishes Will Brooks, gets finished by Felder, finishes Guida, finishes Gallegos, finishes Jim Miller, finishes Teamer, finishes Lentz, finishes Gordon, finishes Kevin Lee, decision Tony Ferguson, finishes Michael Chandler, finishes Dustin Poirier, finishes Justin Gaethje. 30 fights in the UFC, and only three of his fights have even gone to the scorecards. 
Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think we don't really notice it because uh, because of the submissions. And I guess like we're not really appreciate. I think now we're starting to appreciate submissions a little bit more. But I think um, now with him adding like with his great like punches and, and kicks and w- how great he is with the stand up, we're starting to uh, appreciate the finishes even more. So, but man, I I did not. I had no idea. Only three decisions in 30 UFC fights. That's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. And two were in his favor and one was a loss to Frankie Edgar. But yeah. And and a lot of those names that you mentioned were were featherweights and yeah. that 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 weight like Charles is a big dude, man. Seeing him and Gaethje on fight day, Charles looked noticeably bigger than yeah. than Gaethje. Yeah, I mean, I know they were saying on the weigh-in show like Charles put on a lot of muscle, and that's probably why he missed weight. Like, but actually seeing it, I was like, man, like this dude is 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 massive compared to Gaethje. Uh, it's no wonder that uh, the power is starting to really uh, come into play here because he's really worked on uh, adding size to him. And I think that's something that he wanted to add because, you know, Gaethje's such a finisher and everything. I think he wanted to add that power layer to his strikes. But, man, I mean, he's going to have to figure it out, though, to make sure that this weight miss doesn't happen again. But if he's if he adds that power consistently, I mean, he's he's a real problem, man. Even in, you know, a lot of that those losses, like, it's not like Paul Felder is just some dude. Ricardo Lamas, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway. Like, those aren't, you know, Cub Swanson, Frankie Edgar. Like, those aren't just, like, dudes. And this is a guy that's young in his career. He suffers those L's, but it's like you... It's it's like almost the narrative was he just lost to some average... You know, those are, like, killers when this guy's new, young, just finding his way. Not even in, I think, uh, the Felder and Lamas fights were at 155. I think all the other ones were at 45. Um... It's yeah. What an interesting journey, man. It's incredible. incredible. Yeah, it, it's 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 man like thinking thinking to me back seven years ago and uh, seeing how Charles Oliveira was like, you just knew that he was a great submission threat. But there was no part of me like if 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 me today went back seven years ago to me and my group of friends at Hooters and, and I was to tell my my younger self like, hey. I know this guy's going to finish now, but seven, in seven years, this is going to be a UFC champion. I'm, I would have yeah. told myself, like, oh, shut up. Right. Like, no, there is there is no way that this guy is about to be a UFC champion. Like, he's bad now, and he's just going to get older, and, you know, he's going to. So it's incredible the journey he's been on, uh, and, I, and I'm glad that we're finally starting to uh, acknowledge how good he is. Where should he be on the pound-for-pound pound list in your mind? That is a good question. Okay, I got Kamaru one, Izzy two, uh, So the current list, oh. and you can uh, just to help you out here. The current list is Usman one, Volk two. Izzy three, Charles Oliveira after this fight moves up to four, uh, replacing Francis Ngannou, who was four, moves down to five, followed by Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, Glover Teixeira, John Jones, Aljo, Davison Figueredo, Stipe Miocic, Peter Yan, Robert Whitaker, and Brandon Moreno is your top 15. <laughs> well, first, let me say, I mean, 
let's be real, John Jones is number one on the power for pound list if we're being get out of here. <laughs> if we're being get out if of we're here. being real. But let me just say, uh, since he's been since John has been inactive, <laughs> retired in retirement mode. <laughs> yeah, since he's been in retirement and stuff. Um, I was I was fighting with um whether I thought it was Volk or Charles should be number three because I got Kamara one, Izzy two. Um, I, I'm gonna go Volk three because of his long winning streak and he's beaten literally all of the best. Like he's beaten Aldo, he's beaten Max Holloway twice. Um, like he's, in, I feel like he's just levels above everyone. But for Charles to be uh, to be a dominant champion at this point and such and like the best division in the UFC, uh, I mean he's got a case to be as you know three two. Uh, he's got a case, but I think maybe that's where the the losses that he's had comes into play. But yeah. as of now, I think he's he's either three or four. Um, yeah, I I I, I would probably lean a little bit more toward Charles. And again, part of that is just because I think like he's decisively finishing a lot of these guys. Um, and you know, like they say all the time, like, don't let it go to the judges. There's a, there's a risk whether you've won the fight or not. We've seen how many times have you and I talked about a fight going one way and we're like, what the hell were they watching? Like there is to me something for, and I'm not saying it's the end all be all, as we've just talked about with Usman and Volk being underrated, maybe because they haven't had as many finishes, but, uh, Charles stopping basically everybody that's been in his path on this run is pretty incredible. So. Yeah, and and then the the names. I mean, we're talking about Dustin Poirier. We're talking about Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, yeah. uh, Tony Ferguson. Like yeah. the the resume is starting to really add up as well. I don't know what else he has to do. I mean, Volk. It's it's really tough because Volk, outside of like the the second Max Holloway fight, none of his fights have been particularly close. Right. Same with same with Izzy at middleweight. Like uh, outside of the Gaslam fight, none of these fights have been really close. And um, kind of the same with Kamaru like he's been on this run for for such a long time uh like I think um Volk is undefeated in the UFC Usman's undefeated in the UFC yeah. uh Izzy has that one loss to Jan in the UFC so I think that might be where um Charles is getting docked a little bit but um throughout this run I mean we're gonna have to acknowledge him as one of the best fighters in the world um maybe I don't know man it's tough because th- there's an argument to be made that he could be three maybe even two yeah I I'd put him at three um, I, I'll go Usman, Izzy, Charles. And honestly, like I, I would probably say Izzy would be my number one. Uh, but you know, unlike Usman, he does have the, the L which has to count for something. So I guess that's, that's uh, the only reason, but uh, you know, if you take away the Blahovich fight, I'd, I, Izzy would probably be my number one. Yeah. And that was the fight that he was close to winning. So razor thin. I mean, yeah, yeah re- very razor thin. Yeah. Um, okay. So now what's next for Charles Oliveira? Because Dana White said he, this was essentially a number one contender fight for him. If he wins, he's in the next title fight. Um, again, a lot of people still view him as the champion, uh, but for the sake of, you know, their rules and everything, he's not going to have the belt, but he is in the next fight for the 155 belt. Um, where do you want to see that go? Well, there's, there's three people on this card that I feel like got royally screwed by what, or that's going to get royally screwed by what's happened. Uh, on the night. And one person was Joe Lozon. Very unfortunate what happened with him. So we got that out of the way. But the second person uh, that I feel is going to get royally screwed is uh, Benil Dariush. Agreed. Because, I mean, what I want, and I think what everybody wants to see at this point, is Charles Oliveira fight Islam Mahashev. But did 
did the UFC kind of back themselves into a corner because they were saying that Darius uh, has to fight Makachev next. But Benil is still recovering. And the timing of everything, like they were supposed to have this fight in July, but now there's talk that Benil's not going to be ready in time. So if that's the case, and then we're trying to, we're looking to book the next title fight, who has a better case to be the, the other guy across from Charles and Islam Mahashev at this point? I personally would love to see him fight just one top five guy before he gets a title shot, but not, we're at this point now where Charles needs an opponent. He's beating everybody else, and like Islam is, is now the guy that's next. So I'm in this, I'm in this like middle ground where I want to see Charles and Islam fight, but I also want to see Islam fight Darius first, but the, the timeline just... Yeah it doesn't seem like both is going to be able to happen. So I would rather see Charles and Islam fight than Benil and, and, uh, and Islam. So or Charles fight anybody else for that belt. Cause like I'm with you, like in a perfect world, I would love to see Islam and Benil fight this weekend. And then the winner gets the next opportunity at Charles Oliveira. But because of the, the Dariush injury, like, yeah, would, would we love to see, you know, cause I think Michael Chandler even said in his post fight, like Islam has one win over a top 10 opponent or a top 10 yeah. uh, lightweight, which look, Michael Chandler had one win over a top 10 lightweight when he got his title shot. He only had one fight in the UFC for crying out loud when he got his title shot. So I, I thought that was kind of rich coming from Michael Chandler, who I love, by the way. But uh, I thought that was funny that Michael Chandler's like, well, Islam has one win over a, a UFC lightweight in the top 10. Uh, but like, if it's not Islam, I can't make a better case for anybody else to get that opportunity than Islam. So um, like, I'm not, I, I don't think it's Michael Chandler. Like, Michael Chandler literally lost to both of the two guys that just fought in that main event. Um, not that they weren't great fights or not that I don't think Michael Chandler couldn't potentially win it, but he literally just had the opportunity. And look, if I'm being honest, like, do I think Michael Chandler or Islam Mahashev has a better chance to win? I, Islam Mahashev does. So um, it is Islam, for me, 100% deserving the next chance. But I get your point, and I, I completely agree. In a perfect world, Islam and Benil Dariush would fight ASAP, um, by the way, Charles Oliveira today, Will, I don't know if you caught this earlier, but he said that he thinks that Islam needs to get past Benil Dariush to earn that title shot and that he's hoping to defend the title in December in Brazil. Now, if if that if if Charles is trying to get if Charles is trying to fight in December, that's enough time for Islam and Benil to fight. If he's trying to fight in the November, December range. That gives, like, you can have Islam and, and Darius fight August, September. I mean, how we feel that fight may go. It may be yeah. a quick night in the office, and then you can turn them right around. Um, but I do think that Charles should be the A-side, even though he's not the champion. Like, Charles should be the guy to be like, oh, I want to fight this yeah. month. It shouldn't be, well, we're going to Abu Dhabi in October. Everybody loves Islam in, in, in Abu Dhabi, so let's do Charles and Islam there. It shouldn't be that way. He just fought Gaethje in Arizona. You know, he's already the uh, he was on the B side basically in there. So basically just, you know, he, he hasn't got a fight in Brazil. He's earned it. He's the champion now. I mean, if the UFC can get to Brazil, let's get them to Brazil yeah. in December and uh, let let Charles defend his title there. Um, if but, they can, which is, you know, a big yeah, part of if, the equation if, here. And, that, and that's a big if. Right. A, a big if. But I mean, I, I'm sure you probably don't even want to have this discussion. But I mean, I, I think I know where you're going like, and I was about to bring it up. So go ahead. Yeah. So like, I mean, look, if, if Islam and Benil are going to fight, like you said, there's nobody who, who really has a case 
to really jump back in there unless you're going to start doing rematches like Poirier, who hasn't done nothing since he lost, Chandler. I mean, you could throw Chandler in there, but like who really has the appetite at this point to see that, right? You know, Gaethje, no. So like Tony. So, I mean, anybody's going to want to see Conor McGregor fight. And no matter who it's against. And I feel like this is a clear like door for him to just burst through and see like, well, I'm here. Uh, who do, you know, Charles and Conor. And, and then on top of that, Charles literally said his name after he beat Gaethje. So, I mean, I mean, look, if, that's a great fight for Charles Oliveira, right? Like that is a great fight for Charles Oliveira, and it's a money fight for Charles Oliveira. So you make the absolutely. big payday. Um, yes. Dana White shot down any questions about Conor McGregor on Saturday night with the response. I mean, Conor's not healthy, right? Is Conor <laughs> healthy by December? Because I think, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what his timeline is, but by December. I mean, there, obviously that makes a lot more sense than if we were talking about July or August. So if if Charles Oliveira is talking about maybe not fighting again until December, like to me at least, and this isn't like me saying this is what I want to happen. I'm saying like the realistic possibility of it being Conor McGregor seems way more likely with a December fight than otherwise. And, you know, if, if uh, again, Dana kept shooting any Conor questions down with right now, he's not healthy enough to fight. So like this is pointless, but... If, if we're talking about December, I think by the time we get to September and we start talking about, like, maybe putting your training camp together, like, maybe it's a completely different conversation from Connor's side. I'm not, I'm still not a fan, especially in this division of Connor. like, if it's me, um, being the guy that's fighting for the belt when, you know, we've talked about this so many times, like, when was the last time he won a fight in this division? The guy didn't even have a winning record in this division. Um, I, I mean, there's so many things. It's it's the name and obviously like the star power that gives him that opportunity. And if that's the case, so be it. Like to me, it's awesome for Charles Oliveira to have a platform like that against that name if that's the way it ends up going. But like, is he the most deserving? Would I like to see it go that way for the sake of the sport? The answer is no. Uh, but I, I think if if December is the date, then I think the Conor McGregor thing is very real. And then that would make sense that, that maybe Dariush and Islam do fight. But even if it is December, if you ask me like what I think should happen... Islam Mahashev is next, and, you know, maybe we have to, maybe Benil Dariush and Dustin Poirier can fight. Poirier is begging for a fight. They won't match him up with anybody. I think the writing on the wall for a Nate Diaz, Michael Chandler seems to be there, um, and that looks like it may come to fruition. Um, and then, Will, like, I, I, Conor McGregor's on Twitter talking about Justin Gaethje on Saturday night. Gaethje, Gaethje McGregor, to me, is the biggest fight you can make for Conor McGregor, so... Like, that would be a really good shuffling of the deck in my mind. Well, um, where do I even begin? Um, so, the first thing is, let me start with Charles. Um, Charles, uh, so I hate how, they're, how they have these translators and, yes. like, they say, like, I know that, like, that these guys and these girls, these, you know, they say so much and the translators can only, like, you know, they, they kind of paraphrase what they say. But the guy that like that does Charles that that uh, translates for Charles, I feel like he's just so off. Like the the like the really important things that Charles says, like he never like gets that. So what Charles something that Charles said was in the in the post fight interview, he said, Dana, you said that I'll get to choose who I fight next. So and then he said, Connor, are you ready or are you running? So I feel like. Charles was under the impression that he's going to win this fight and then fight Connor while this whole Benil and Islam thing gets uh, 
you know, get settled. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, only because like, there's no clear contender and I, I, I don't like it for the sport, but for Charles being deserving of a payday for all that he's, you know, gone through for his time in the sport. Like I felt the same about Cowboy Cerrone. I felt the same about, about Dustin Poirier. Like these are guys who have been through, uh, been through the ringer in the UFC and they deserve to have a big payday. So for Charles' sake and, you know, for the sake of this title reign, why not add a Conor McGregor? Um, you're going to get pay-per-view points. Yeah. You're going to uh, you're going to become a star. You're going to get the rub off of uh, McGregor. And if you add Conor McGregor's name to the to your resume, that's just another champion that you add to a to a Hall of Fame worthy resume. So if I'm Charles, I'm definitely taking this fight. It's the same thing with Usman. This of is course, a winnable yeah. fight. You're going you're going to get paid a, a, a whole bunch to take this fight. So uh, for Charles' side, I'm all, I'm all in for it. And without a clear number one contender in terms of the sport, I'm more in for it. Because what if you have Charles and Conor McGregor fight in November at Madison Square Garden? Like, that is a very worthy main event, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, so, yeah, so like, if, if, if you're in the UFC and you're in need of a, of a main event, um, you can always go to Conor McGregor. And then... It's even better if Connor's name is attached to a title because that makes Connor even more relevant. So I would love to see that. But at the same time, you're right. Connor's only one. I still think it's only one fight at lightweight. Yeah, that, that was the title fight. It's only, yeah, it's only Eddie Alvarez. So Michael Chandler also called him out. I love that fight too, uh, Connor and Michael Chandler. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you brought up uh, Connor and Gaethje. I love that fight too. With Gaethje not really having really much of a direction at this point i definitely feel like gaethje and conor mcgregor would be great for both of those guys yeah and then i still don't understand why we can't get dustin poirier and nate diaz to fight i don't either these are these are two guys who basically are are on the same timeline who are basically saying i want to fight in july they they want to fight each other nate's at a point where he's like i'll fight anybody dustin's been begging to fight nate since january so i'm like why like why are we gonna why are we more in favor of Chandler and Diaz instead of Poirier and Diaz. I want to see Poirier and Diaz way more than I want to see Chandler and Diaz. Absolutely, 100%. And there's still fresh matchups for Chandler at lightweight. Especially if we're talking about him maybe getting back in the title picture because I think he's closer. I mean, just the fact that he has a win as opposed to Poirier, whose last fight was a loss, like he's closer to the title picture anyway. So why wouldn't you keep him with fresh matchups at 155 getting closer to another title shot as opposed to like... The Poirier Nate Diaz fight is so obvious to me, like it hurts, and right. like it's almost like they're cooling Dustin Poirier, like they're they're cooling their own product to me, which is mind blowing. Um, you could easily do a Nate Diaz Dustin Poirier fight. You can easily do a Justin Gaethje Conor McGregor fight, where both of those are monster fights. And in terms of like what you're doing with Gaethje and Poirier now in the lightweight division, like where do they go, right? Like it's there's not a lot of opportunities where they go from here, at least at the present moment. Now let some other maybe fighters rise up in the rankings and maybe you have some, some better matchups a year from now. But in the meantime, those fights make all the sense in the world. Let Islam fight for the belt now. And then you have Chandler and Benil Dariush who potentially becomes your next number one contender fight. Like I, the, the, the Nate Diaz Poirier thing to me, I, I don't understand why that is not happening, That's... but um, the whole thing about Connor though, getting the title, like for Charles sake, that would be awesome. That's a giant right. resume win. 
that's a giant payday, increases his star power. I think it's probably the most advantageous matchup out there in terms of even the possibilities that you could throw at him. So for Charles' sake, that's great. When you say there's not a clear number one contender, like Conor McGregor is getting opportunities despite not being a clear number one guy. Michael Chandler had fought one time in the UFC and beat Dan Hooker. Like I, I like Dan Hooker a lot. Okay, so I'm not saying that like negatively, but Dan Hooker's never been a lightweight contender, really. Like he's always been a couple fights away from that. But like Dan Hooker was coming off a loss when Michael Chandler beat him. Like he wasn't in the top five. He was in the top 10, but like he had one fight in the UFC against a Dan Hooker that had just lost to Dustin Poirier and he got a title shot. Islam Mahashev has also beat that same Dan Hooker, has countless other wins against maybe not top five, but like good lightweights, has been in this division for a long time, is literally mowing down everybody in his path with zero resistance. Like, to me, there is zero argument against Islam Mahashev being the number one contender. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but I think if you gave Islam the title shot right after the Dan Hooker fight, I think I, I don't think we would be having this, uh, this discussion about him, whether he's deserving or not. But time has passed since then. The Dan Hooker win has, has – I don't feel like it's aged that well because of Dan Hooker getting sure. knocked out after dropping down to featherweight. Then he beats Bobby Green, who's unranked. So our our last kind of visuals of Islam, he's beaten a Dan Hooker who's on a three- to four-fight losing streak, and he's beat Bobby Green who's not, who wasn't ranked. So when you look at it like that, then you're like, well, I need to see Islam just get that one yeah. that one win. Now, see – But, but I said in no, comparing him with anybody else, like – like, let's just compare him to Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler was on a two-fight losing streak and then just beat a guy that's lost four in a row now. So, like, is that more impressive? Like, I, I agree with oh, what no, you're saying. Like, the not. point of what you're making is that, like, we would like to see more, and I agree with that, but I don't think you can make the argument for anybody above Islam. Is my point. Like, there's not a good argument to make for anybody at the moment. So Islam is the easy number one contender in my mind. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I am with you. But that's where... That's the only reason why I say a Conor McGregor could come in and, yeah. and get the title shot because with with there being like this these discussions about Islam, like half half people are saying it's Islam, half people are saying I need to see him do more. Conor McGregor can walk in here the, being the biggest star of the sport, right. and no one would really have too much of a problem with Conor getting the title shot. But like when I say that there's no there's no one like there's no clear number one contender. I, I mean, I do, I do mean that. But if there was, you're one saying the person, collective view is there's not a number one, right? Yeah, that, I, I knew that. That's what you meant, by the way. Right. Yeah. If, if there was one person who stands out above the pack, it's definitely Islam. Right. The 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 purist in me wants to see him just fight one other guy, but I also know that's the that's the second best lightweight in the world right now, and I would love to see him fight Charles. That would be a a fantastic stylistic matchup, very fascinating, but. I don't know, man. This whole situation, it's so it's so weird because of this title weightness and everything. Yeah. Like it's it's so weird. I mean, it's just made everything more complicated when it really doesn't have to be. Yeah. What a I, I dude, I could do a weekly pod probably on just the lightweight division and the what ifs. Um <laughs> that's how much fun it is, because matchmaking in that division is is a blast. Like So as of so as of now, how are you matching up? you know, the, the biggest names in that, in that division. If it's me, it's Charles Oliveira and Islam for the title. It's Michael Chandler and Benil Dariush in a number one contender fight for the next opportunity. 
I'm giving Poirier Nate Diaz, and I'm giving Gaethje Conor McGregor. Like, cake. Everybody wins in that. Like, nobody loses there. Name one person that's a loser in that situation. Chandler is one fight away from a title, which is what he wants. Dariush isn't getting screwed over by losing the Islam fight because you're giving him Chandler and also the opportunity to be one fight away from a title. Poirier and Gaethje both get, I mean, giant money superstar fights. money fights. Uh, and the guy that I think is probably, a, that is a future champion in this division, gets his title shot against uh, the guy that has, I mean, dominated the division for the last, what, four or five years. Yeah, I mean, that, that's good. I can't argue with that. I mean, you're right. Everybody does win. Um, Gaethje and Poirier, I think they're not at this point where they're going to fight down in the rankings. Um, right. They're going to definitely take these money fights over fighting down in the rankings to try to work themselves back up. Chandler still definitely has championship aspirations, and he'll be a guy that would definitely accept a, a Benil Darius fight. Now, I don't, I don't know for sure if Poirier and uh, Gaethje would be up for a Darius fight at this point, but I, but I know Chandler would take that. I and think then, if you told, I think if you told Poirier or Gaethje that if you beat Benil Darius, you get another title shot. I think they would be in, but they both have an L, and at least like Chandler has bounced back with a win before like getting a number one contender fight. So like it's easier to make that fight than it probably would be to guarantee either one of those two guys a, a title shot over with a win over Darius. Yeah, uh, yeah. Both these guys have had two title fights. So yeah. they know like, man, we're going to have to go through a little bit to get back right. to, you know, get back to a title shot. So Poirier is already of the mindset of, I want to take a money fight next. But now it's getting to the point where he just wants to fight. Like, He's he's been basically been flirted with for so long about a fight. He thought he had one back in January. Now it's 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 May. So, man, and I don't know how long Gaethje's going to be out. I don't know if he's going to take some time off or whatever the case is. Uh, but yeah, those fights definitely make sense. Um, but it, it just all depends on. I think the first thing that has to happen is is we're going to have to see what happens with Islam. Yeah. Either Islam gets the title shot or he gets Benil. But after that happens, then the rest of the division can move on. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the co-main event on Saturday night. Will, I'm going to make a statement. Tell me true or false. The worst title fight in UFC history. True or false? I, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm going to say true. But, I mean, there's been so many title fights that I really would like to go back and try to, like, see. But I, it's going to have to take, like, some really, really, yeah. really deep digging to find one that was worse than that. Because that, that was just... It was so bad, man. Just and, and you you just know how exciting Rose is. Like Rose has given us some crazy knockouts, some some really, really fun fights. Even the fights that don't end in knockouts have been fun. Like the uh the Andrade fight, the second one. Uh the second Joanna fight was good. I mean, the second Whaley fight was good. Like, and then the spectacular knockouts that she had against Joanna and Whaley, like I mean, she's gotten so much better. Like that performance, man. I don't know. She bas she basically just handed that belt to Carla in my in my mind, man. Because I mean, I, I think she, you can kind of say that about both, but I mean, because Carla like at least attempted a few takedowns. Like, I guess we give her more of of the benefit of the doubt. But like, neither one of the them in my mind like really went after it either. Like, it's like. Yeah, Rose probably gave it away a little bit more than Carla did, but neither one of them like went after the belt. If you, like, I guess is the way that I, I look at it. Yeah, and, and and that's true. Neither one of them really went after the belt, but Carla just did did just enough 
But like that's why I said like when the when the fight was about to end, I was like, Carl, I think Carlin won this. And you were like, nobody won that shit. <laughs> yeah, nobody. Yeah, nobody won that shit. I, I, I but, dead 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 serious, man. Like I I couldn't even score that. Like I think I think I gave round one. Like I think round one is a ten ten. Honestly, I think round two is probably yeah. a ten ten. It was so bad though that like while the Canelo fight was taking place at the same time. I'm like paying attention, but I'm also watching a lot more of the Canelo fight than that because every time I, I'm like one eye is over here on the Rose Carla fight and literally nothing is happening, nothing is happening, nothing is happening. Carla attempts a takedown, Rose is you know easily gets out of it, and then nothing is happening for a longer period of time. Like it was like okay, like these are probably ten ten rounds. I think the first round, like which I watched every second of, if you made me give it to one person, I think it was probably Rose for just landing the you know the shot on the forehead, uh, but like. Is that enough to win the round when, like, neither one of them, like, what was there, six total strikes thrown in that first round? Like, that was hot garbage. And I don't even know how you score that. Like, I, I wouldn't even be able to accurately tell you who won or lost that fight. But I do know that, like, neither one of those two today feels good about the fight that took place. Like, Carla's happy that she's the champion. But she's, she's I mean, similar to, like, Aljo getting the belt. Like, she understands that people aren't happy with that fight and the way in which she got the belt. So, like, there is, I'm sure, somewhat of a bittersweet taste to how that happened. Rose certainly, like, as delusional as she was after the fight in the press conference, like, she now that she's fully embraced it, she understands that that was a catastrophe. Dana said it was a catastrophe. Every human being with a set of eyes that watched that fight thought it was a catastrophe. Like, nobody won. That was horrible. Yeah. No, yeah, nobody won. But you know, uh, me as a purist, I tried yeah. to score that. Like I really did. I yeah. was, I was like, okay, this happened, this happened. So like the first round, I actually gave it to Carla, even though Rose did more damage with that with that shot to the forehead. Yeah. I felt like Carla attempted more strikes, or or landed a few more strikes, and I was so disappointed in Rose like not throwing anything that I gave it to Carla because she through a little bit more if that makes sense yep. but i was like, there's the not a wrong way to was, go about that because it was so, that shitty like there's not a wrong answer <laughs> ex exactly yeah. exactly so i was under the impression though that it was so uneventful that it would be a 10 10 so like they were talking about on the broadcast i was like yeah if there was any round to be scored a 10 10 it's something like that like you don't really know like how to score that shit like you just yeah. say it's a 10 10 round and go on and then the, the takedowns that carla that carla did land i mean rose got back right back up Immediately, she right? Stuck, she she got right back up, but she wasn't doing anything else. Like she wasn't like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit her a few times. I'm gonna throw combinations. It was literally just. It seemed like she was in it. She was just trying to be defensive the whole time instead of being right. offensive. And Carla and Carla, the first fight, for instance, Carla capitalized off of Rose being off balance, off of Rose throwing kicks and being over aggressive. But Rose is, has so much better movement and understanding of the game now. Like, that was Rose, like, three or four fights into her career when she got a title fight. Like, now she is a champion. Like, she's been through so many of these. Like, yeah. I am completely shocked that she would fight that way, just being defensive the whole time. Like, I, I feel like if Rose really wanted to go out there and finish Carla, she could have finished her. Agreed. Because Car Carla has nothing for Rose on the feet. Now, if, if Rose d just gets over-aggressive and gets sloppy and gets taken down— like that's something that she needs that's that's concerning but rose is in and out she's got size and length over carla like it was going to be really tough yeah. for carla to take rose down at this point and and then you see the how strong that rose is now like she's 
whenever Carla did get her down, she got right back up like it was like it was just too easy. So I understand wanting to uh, make sure that you're that you have your defense there and everything. But man, bro, like, I mean, just looking at the fights that she's had that Carla's had, like she's fought Marina Rodriguez and uh, uh, Michelle Watterson. And a lot of these fights were split decisions and fights that she could have lost and stuff. But Rose is a champion. Rose should have went out there and really yeah. imposed her will on Carla. And I think she had every opportunity to do that. But she just didn't do it, man. Even if I Very wanted to like give Rose the benefit of the doubt early in that fight, like at what point does she defend those takedowns the way that she did and say, like, okay, I'm good? Right? Like she was that's, that, like at what, what point do you just say, that. like, okay, now I don't have to be as cautious as I've been and I can actually start throwing because I'm defending these takedowns so well and I'm getting right back up when when she does get me that like this isn't a problem. I can actually have an offensive threat as well. And like the corner will what the hell were uh, they doing? Like they were literally like saying, You're doing great. This is exactly the game pl- the game plan was to not fight. Like I what was that? Like I I, I I was so confused as to I guess they just thought since you're the champion, if nothing happens, like you're gonna get the benefit of the doubt, right? Because we've talked about this. Like I think if you're the champion and it's a even fight, like for the most part, the champ usually gets the benefit of the doubt. But um, like the fact that there was so much of nothing, I think became a, a negative thing for Rose in this case. But they're like championing her over this. They're like, this is exactly what we talked about. You're you're doing this great. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a um, a big, big. Um, I mean, that's all on Pat Barry, man, uh, because he's acting as not acting, but he is Rose's head coach. He's the one that goes in there and and gives the speeches and stuff. Trevor Whitman is in the corner, but he's not the one that's like talking to him like he does with yeah. Usman and, and Gaethje. It's Pat Barry, and Pat Barry, uh, we all know is is uh, is Rose's fiance and stuff. So. I don't know what, what he was seeing. Like, uh, like when you hear the booze, that's what we want. And I'm like, like Rose didn't do anything. Like Rose, Rose is literally losing. Y- y'all are literally telling her to go out there and lose her title. Uh, it, it's, it, it was just crazy to me, man. Well, and like, I didn't, I didn't, here's, saw, here's my thing. Like you say Rose is losing. Like I didn't know if Rose was losing, but I also didn't know if she was winning. Like I was like, I have no idea how this is going to be scored, but there's no way you could, like my thought was, there's no way you can feel confident with this. Like, maybe she's getting the benefit of the doubt because she's the champion, but you could easily, like you said, give it to Carla simply because, like, she was a little more active. Like, it's... I don't know how anybody in that spot could be confident in what they were doing. Like, even if you don't think we're we're winning, you don't know how that's going to be perceived. Like, you can't be confident in that way. Like, that's what was mind-blowing to me, is that you could be confident that what you were doing was producing positive results where, at best... It's a giant question mark. At worst, you're losing all of these rounds. Yeah, so, so why I say that Rose was losing was because when, when Carla landed those takedowns, th- that was the most significant thing that, yeah. that happened in yeah. those rounds. Um, so she got two takedowns, and that was two rounds that was under Carla's belt. Rose got one takedown in the fifth, so that was, that was Rose's round for sure. The third round was uneventful. The first round was uneventful. But I think in the third round, Carla was just attempting takedowns and trying to, uh, uh, and Rose was just getting back up and stuff. But anyway, you can tell, like, in the fifth round, I think before, it was either before the fourth round or the fifth round, Trevor Whitman literally said, like, you can start, like, 
you know, like, yeah. have, you know, being a little bit more open, you know? And I, I feel like if Trevor was her head coach, I feel like this was like, this would have been acknowledged way before this. But I think with Trevor just being an assistant, I guess, and kind of just like adding in just like little bits and pieces, he can't really just go out and say like, Rose, like you need to like, hey, like, but there was no like panic or anything. Like they were just cool, calm and collected. Like they didn't really, it, it never really felt like they yeah. felt like, Rose is in danger of losing. She genuinely, then, like, when that fifth round started, like, she genuinely thought she was winning that fight. And, yeah. like, when the fight ended, like, you know, everybody does the whole, like, put your hands up at the end of the fight and try to give the impression that you think you won. But, like, we all we can always tell when somebody's doing that because that's what you're coached to do or, like, you actually believe that you won that. Like, Rose legitimately thought she won that fight when it was over. And I was I, like, yeah. why in the hell is she so confident? And part of that was, I think, because... That's what her corner was feeding her. Like she was, yeah. ge she genuinely, one hundred percent thought when that fight was over, she had dominated the fight. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> she thought crazy. with that, she thought with that takedown in the fifth round that she solidified the victory. Because um, when when the, when the round ended, she got up, she put her hands up, she's like, "I'm the best, I'm the best," and I'm like, "Yeah, bro, like you might <laughs> you might have just lost." It is it, it's it's crazy, man, because Rose has been in this game for a while now, man. Like she's been through title fights, she's been in more title fights than Carla. She's a two-time champion. She's yeah. been through uh, fight. She's been through big title fights. She's been in uh, MSG twice, fighting for the title, winning the title. So I'm so surprised that um, she was that unaware of of the circumstances. You know, it's it's crazy, man. And you know, I don't know if if more of the blame should go to Rose or to uh, the corner um, because I feel like Rose was just doing what she was told. Right. But then on the other hand. Rose legitimately believed that she was winning, but is that because the corner was so calm and so like we're, you're doing everything that we want you to do? So I don't I don't know, man. But I'm so surprised because like when you're in the when you're in the fight, I feel like you can kind of tell by how the by how it's going, like whether whether or not you're winning those rounds. But she literally thought that defending takedowns was gonna get her points yeah. and win her rounds. And it's just like no, that's you should you should know that, that that that's not how it works. You should know that it's striking you know like that comes first grappling all that stuff like not not doing anything and just waiting to defend takedowns is not going to win you the fight only floyd mayweather can win with defense nobody else <laughs> right. only floyd mayweather so can we, yeah only floyd mayweather can do that for sure yeah yeah uh, i like there, there's been conversation about like i would I'd never want to see that fight again never i'm i'm actually on the other side of it because i actually do think if they were to fight again it would be a completely different fight yeah oh one thousand percent, because I'm sure now uh, that Ro I'm sure Rose had a chance to watch it, and I'm sure she's like, "Fuck!" Like I, I really wasn't doing shit this whole the whole fight. Like, man. Um, and I, I feel like if they were to fight again, I feel like we would see not an overly aggressive Rose, but I think we would see a, a, a Rose that we've seen along the lines of these last few title fights. Someone who's in and out, throwing kicks, using her length, using her distance. Um, not afraid of getting taken down because she knows that she can get right back up. Um, yeah, like Rose is a champion, man, and yeah. like she she knows that she's better than Carla. Like I know that she knows that. Um, she just gave Carla way too much respect in the in the uh, wrestling cat in the wrestling. And, and Carla's great, but with the wrestling, but Rose is that much better of a, of a striker than Carla as a wrestler in my mind. Yeah, amen. Um, yeah, I think that fight would be completely different. Uh, off the top of my head. The worst title fight that I can remember before Saturday night was uh, Izzy Romero. 
which was a snooze fest. I mean, it, that was a horrible fight. Um, and I, I mean, that had fireworks compared to Rose and Carla. Oh yeah. So yeah, because you had uh, Romero uh, hit him with that big. I think it was left, and and Izzy got kind of hurt. But and, and Izzy was at least chopping up at the leg. If there right. was no activity, right. Izzy was making sure that he was scoring. That's what Rose was missing. Like Izzy was being very defensive and very careful, but Izzy was piling up numbers yeah. just with leg kicks. If Rose just would have made sure that she was scoring while being defensive, this would have been an easy win. Yeah. All right, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson. Uh, Will, this was pretty incredible because for five minutes, we saw old Tony Ferguson, right? I mean, the guy that seemingly disappeared in the Justin Gaethje fight and has been missing in action between the Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush losses, which he was completely dominated in both of those fights. It felt like vintage Tony Ferguson back. He hurt Chandler in the first round, even though Chandler was on top and had control. Like it, it felt like Tony was doing more damage from the bottom than Chandler was from the top. Uh, felt like he really hurt Chandler's eye. Like I, I was very confident about Tony Ferguson going into that second round. And then as Dana White says, maybe the most vicious knockout that he's ever seen. Um, I was like, I went from being completely shocked at the knockout to like almost concerned about whether Tony Ferguson was actually going to be like, I was like, this is bad. Like this, this might be really bad. Uh, and I mean, thank God Tony's okay, but l good Lord, man, that kick was devastating. Huh, man. Yeah. You know, Tony, you, you could tell throughout this fight week that he had like a different mindset. Like in some of the interviews, he was way more serious. Um, you know, normally you see the Tony who's kind of, you know, kind of playful and everything. But, you know, this one, he was really, really serious. And uh, the performance kind of backed that up. You know, he went in there. He hurt Michael Chandler. Um, he was throwing elbows. Like whenever Chandler got him down, you know, we saw the active Tony on the ground throwing elbows. Like I, I feel like Chandler barely really got any offense in when he got the takedown yep. because Tony was so defensive and everything. Um yeah, that, that was definitely vintage Tony. So when you go to the second round, now we've got a very interesting fight because now you, you see that Tony's in it. Like these last few fights, like Tony hasn't been in it at all. But He lost every round, round of the Gaethje you know, fight, right? Yeah. Or maybe, I, I, I think it might have been round two where you could maybe give him round two against Gaethje, he, I think. He dropped him, but yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know if you want to give him the round because right. he's been his ass with that round, but he did drop him. But yeah, maybe that's the only one that's questionable, but lost every round against Oliveira and Dariush. Yeah. Like that was, yeah, and I scored sure. round one for he, him on Saturday. That was the first time since his last win that I had scored a round for him. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking that he won that fight or won that round, um, I mean, you can make a case of Chandler one, but I mean, with Tony dropping him and then uh, even with Chandler getting the takedown, Tony was still active on the ground. Uh, I felt like Tony won that first round as well. So this is a fight that Tony's winning at this point. And then you go into the second round thinking that it's interesting. And then right away, 17 seconds in, I mean, Chandler throws a kick and Michael Chandler's not really much of a of a kicker. Right. I mean... He, like, he, he throws, like, I saw him throw some leg kicks against Gaethje and everything, but he's not much of a kicker. He's more of a, of a puncher, wrestler. But, like, where the fuck did that come from? Like, where? I don't, under, I don't understand. And, like, people are kind of saying, like, Tony's, like, oh, he's done and stuff. I think no one expected Chandler to throw that. Tony, for sure, couldn't have expected Tony to, or Chandler to throw that. And for him to get dropped like that, like, I feel like a lot of people – would have gotten dropped with that kick because that was very lethal, very vicious. 
and it was right on the button, man. Right on the button. Um, Nobody was, in the lightweight was, sur- division is surviving that kick. I'm just saying. Nobody. I mean, I mean, maybe Charles is because I mean, because he's been surviving everything else. But I mean, outside of him, nah, I'm just kidding. Charles ain't surviving that shit either. But um, for him to the way that Tony fell, I mean, at first I thought, oh, he just dropped him. But then, like, you, you can see, like, he's limp. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, he knocked him out cold. And then they turned him around, and then you see his eyes, and you're just like, oh, my God. It's like, man. How, he was down I mean, for was, a long time, man. Like, it, that was crazy. Yeah, man. It, it was it was kind of reminiscent of uh, the Overeem knockout, like, yeah. with how Overeem's eyes was. Like, it just looked really, really scary. Uh, same thing with Tony, man. It's really scary. And it's something that we haven't seen before. Like, Overeem's been knocked out so many times. But, like, Ferguson's never, like, hit the canvas like that before and uh, was unable to respond. So it was just really tough to see, man. Yeah. Uh, and he was fighting so good. Yeah, it was just like, that's what we root for, right, is these highlight spectacular finishes. But we also got Tony feeling like Tony for the first time ever. Um, and then, like, yeah, it was it was uh, such a mixed bag. And, and look, we knew that uh, that fight had the chance to deliver fireworks, and uh, it, it, it definitely did. I mean, vintage Tony and uh, Michael Chandler, I mean, just continuing to uh, put on, I mean, entertaining fight after entertaining fight, win or lose, the guy, um, you know, has, has in line with basically that the, the elite fighters in that division, I mean, put himself in a category of, like, must-watch. Yeah. Yeah, definitely must-watch. Definitely turning himself into a star. And I think he's built... Uh, that much of a name for himself like you know he he says this all the time like he goes through his resume of what he's done in UFC his first fight he beats Dan Hooker on a Conor McGregor card he then gets a title fight which he almost won but it was very very exciting he follows that up with the fight of the year with Charles Oliveira uh, with uh, Justin Gaethje and then he follows that up with the probably the knockout of the year against Tony Ferguson so we're looking for a, a comeback fight for Conor McGregor I think Michael Chandler has definitely built himself up to be that guy for Conor McGregor. I, I, I still think that the way that Michael Chandler fights, that it's a winnable fight for Conor because if it's strictly a stand-up war, Conor McGregor always has a chance. 100%. And I think Michael Chandler has built himself up to be a guy that's worthy of standing across the octagon from uh, Conor McGregor in a non-title fight. A Conor McGregor-Michael Chandler fight will finish in one round, and I don't know who to pick. Like, dead serious. Like, I, I don't know who I would pick. I feel pretty confident that it's over within the first five minutes, though, because neither one of those guys are are great defensively. Both of those guys capable of putting the lights out, and they both know what they're there to do if they face each other, right? Like, they're both there to either kill or be killed, and that thing is going to be over quickly. Like, one of them is going to land a shot that ends it. You know, man, um, if if Chandler's not wrestling, I'm kind of leaning Connor because... Connor's link and Connor's lethal left hand. And if they're fighting at 170 with how Connor's been looking lately on Instagram and stuff, like yeah. this guy is jacked. I think he's added some power and everything. So if, if Chandler's not adding the wrestling into this, uh, I'm not saying Chandler has no chance because of course Chandler has a chance, but I'm definitely pulling a little bit more towards uh, Connor, especially because of um, his efficiency on the feet. Dude, the only way Chandler is wrestling Connor is if Connor rocks him and he does it out of like necessity to survive like he's not going to actively try and wrestle conor mcgregor he knows what that stage is he knows yeah. that he, i mean he's a I, like what i appreciate about michael chandler is that i think he is a showman first like he's yeah. there to put on a show 
And like, I think like he wants to be a champion and all that, but I don't think he, he's not going to go win boring fights to become a champion. I don't believe that about him. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think that he would have just like wrestled Tony the whole time just to make sure he got, he got a win uh, on Saturday. But I mean, for him to get that knockout the way it did, that was just the perfect thing that, that could have yeah. happened for Michael Chandler, for sure. He only wrestled um, Tony, though, right after he got the, the big shot on his eye. Like, he wa- like that exactly. wasn't the game plan, I don't think. It wasn't. And I think it was just he, – he always has that in his back pocket. Like, yeah. he's, such a, he's such a good wrestler, but he knows, like, he's built – he knows what he's built. He's built a guy that's very, very exciting. And if he goes and he fights Conor McGregor, like you said, yeah. he's not going to wrestle. But I'm saying without the without the wrestling, Connor has a really, really good chance to Agreed. finally get a win. The only thing that sucks is this isn't going to be a lightweight fight. They're not going to fight at 155. They're going to fight at 170. And he still wouldn't <laughs> so have a 155 win, but he would probably get the next title shot. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly, man. <laughs> um, all right. So the, the Cowboy uh, fight didn't take place because he pulled out. Um, I don't know if you want to get into uh, Chaos Williams and uh, and Randy Brown. Uh, the fight we did pick was OSP and uh, Shogun. We both picked OSP. That fight went exactly the way that I thought it was going to. Um, and, I mean, two fights on this card, Will, with Rose and Carla and then Shogun and OSP to just be duds, right? I mean, just, again, like, I, I know the crowd was booing, uh, and you're talking about, like, Shogun being a legend, and I, I get that the you know the the stance was like don't boo this legend he's accomplished so much but I don't know that it was as much about booing Shogun as it was just like that wasn't a good fight that wasn't a, an entertaining fight that was for the most part um, a snooze fest right absolutely a snooze fest and I'm very uh, surprised by how OSP fought that fight because I thought that OSP would just go after him and uh, put him out because in, in fights that OSP has lost against like Ben Rothwell and against um, uh, Jamal Hill, had he fought Shogun the way he fought them, he would have finished him. But for some reason, OSP was not fighting Shogun. And, and I feel like Shogun really like gave his best performance that he could at this point. He's 40 years old. Yeah. And I mean, he's on like his very, very last of legs. But I felt like OSP had enough in, this, in the tank to finish him again. But maybe maybe OSP needs to hang him up too, <laughs> because if he's not going to fight Shogun, who are you going to beat fighting like that? You're not going to yeah. beat anybody. So if you're, I mean, you you can beat Shogun, sure, but you're not going to beat anybody of, I mean, Shogun's a legend, but he, he, at this point he's kind of irrelevant in the in the fight game. Now who is OSP going to beat fighting like that outside of no one, forty year old so no nobody. So I was very surprised by how OSP fought that. Um, it was definitely a 15 minutes that I wish I had back. Yeah, I I <laughs> kind of feel like OSP is close. I mean, maybe closer, as close to Shogun as being done. And I thought this would be a boring fight because I just thought OSP is going to take an easy win here. Like this isn't he's not going to put himself in danger because the only path is for Shogun to land a big shot. Like OSP can literally cruise to a points win here, just score, 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 and never put himself in danger. And like that's that's exactly the fight I thought it was going to be. I told you last week. Like I don't like either side of this. I don't like this fight. Like I think it's gonna be, ugh, and that's what it was. And uh, the crowd did not like it. Uh, so we were right on OSP. We were right on Michael Chandler. We both missed uh, Rose over Carla. We both missed Justin Gaethje over Charles Oliveira. Uh, Will you still have a three point lead as we go into Saturday night's UFC Fight Night with the main event Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic? Six fights on the main card. With the three-point lead, Will, you will select first. Are you ready, my friend? 
Always ready, man. Stay ready. All right. So we start in the flyweight division. We have Jake Hadley and Alan Nascimento. Oddshark.com has Jake Hadley as a minus 220 favorite, plus 175 for the underdog. Uh, I feel like the UFC definitely has um, high hopes for, for Hadley. And he, he is a very, very uh, solid prospect. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and go Hadley here. Um, not, not because I don't know much about um, the uh, Allen k- kid, but I do know uh, that Hadley is a, is a very good prospect and the UFC definitely has high hopes for him. So I'm going to go Hadley just based off of that. Hadley for me as well. He had a win in last year's Contender Series over Mitch Raposo. Uh, this is his official, I guess, UFC debut, uh, and I'm with you. I I, uh, I think that he's a guy to, to maybe keep an eye on, especially at flyweight where it just feels like that thing is so open for anybody to just come in and maybe with a couple of big wins. I mean, you could find yourself right there in the conversation. So Jake Hadley for me as well, which takes us to, uh, once again, the lightweight division, which we've spent at least an hour uh, talking about today. <laughs> Frank Camacho versus Manuel Torres. Oddshark.com gives us Torres as the minus 130 favorite, plus 100 for the underdog. So, man, this one's this one's kind of tough. Um, so I, I know that Frank Camacho will be the, the bigger guy. Um. He's had some fights at, at welterweight, and he didn't really do too well. Um, but he's going to have the size and going to have the uh, experience, because I think this is uh, Torres' first fight. Yeah, he's also a contender um, series uh, winner from, from last season. Okay, okay. Yeah, they, they, they love to feature these contender series guys on the, first, yeah. uh, on the, on the main cards. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to see if I want to go with experience, if I want to go with, uh, with the prospect. Um, man, this one is so tough. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with the, uh, I'm going to go with the favorite. I'm going to go with, uh, Torres. All right, Torres, you're going with, uh, talent over experience. Uh, give me Torres as well. Like I, 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 like you really contemplated this one. And, and like you mentioned, part of me just thought the experience plus a guy that's been at welterweight and has also fought a lot of big names, right? Like the guy has a bunch of experience. The record isn't great, but when you look at a lot of those losses, it's it's to extremely well-known and skilled uh, fighters. But I kind of feel like sometimes with these contender series guys, they're getting opportunities on main cards because uh, the UFC at least believes that it might be a, an advantageous matchup. Uh, so get, I'll, I'll, I'll agree there. Uh, give me the upside of Taurus uh, in this uh, lightweight fight number two of the main card. This is the one that I've been really curious to, to hear about uh, your side of it, and I'm extremely happy that you have to select first for this fight especially. <laughs> um, we are in the flyweight division for the females. Caitlin Chukagian and Amanda Hibas at 125. Chukagian is the favorite, minus 180, plus 150 for the underdog. Hibas here stepping up a weight class. Yeah, I'm, I was very surprised to see this fight. Um booked you know because i felt like she was supposed to fight somebody else and then just randomly it's like no she's fighting caitlin chukagan it's just like oh, okay she's fighting the number one contender at 125 where'd that come from but anyway um you know i think that there's just 
there's like Amanda Hebos is very very skilled. Like you can see it. Um, she's very, she's got a lot of talent. But I I think that this might be um, a little biting off a little bit more than she could chew at at this point this early. Like I I, I definitely feel like Hebos can beat Caitlin Chukagan, but I think for her first flyweight fight to fight the number one um, the number one ranked contender. I mean, I think that that's that's a big ask. And, you know, Caitlin's got um, – she can manage distance. She looked really good in her last fight. Uh, she's starting to mix in wrestling and everything. So um, I'm going to go Caitlin Shukagian. Uh, but, I, you know, I do think that Amanda Hewitt is very talented, but I just don't – I think that's, this is a big ask for her first uh, flyweight fight. I, I, I mean, Jessica Andrade did this, something similar, and she got a title fight. So I'm sure the UFC is like – we have a we know that we have a star in Amanda Hebas, so yeah. she can just go out here and beat Kevin Chukagan. This is another contender that we can throw in there with uh, Valentina, but um, I just think Andrade had the power, and I'm not sure that Amanda could put out Kevin Chukagan. So I'm thinking that this is probably going to be a, a decision for Kevin Chukagan. Well, Hebas is going to try and get this to the mat, and Chukagan just feels like she's so well rounded. Um, that's going to be a difficult task. At the same time, like. You wonder with with Heba stepping up and wait if she does get her down, will she be able to control her the same way she controls the straw weights? Um, for what it's worth, she did beat Paige Van Zant back in 2020 at 125, uh, but she's uh, I mean she's a straw weight. Um, she was scheduled to fight uh, Michelle Waterson, uh, I believe in March, and Waterson had an injury, and so Heba has just been waiting. I'm not sure how this one came about, but I saw this and I just thought, man, this is such an interesting dynamic. Um, if you made me pick a winner, like regardless of our competition, just made me pick a winner, slightly lean toward Chukagian. But I like this enough, and I think it's interesting enough that I just decided, no matter what, I'm going opposite you here, because I, I really do see a path for both. I really do like both sides of this. I think it's going to be a really interesting fight. So um, I'm going opposite. Give me Amanda Hebos, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. I, I don't know that uh, I feel like Chukagian is going to shut her lights out. Same way that Marina did, if uh, you know, if if Chukagian is able to land, uh, but if it goes to the mat, I do like Hebos um, potentially being able to to win it in that way. My only question is, if it does go there, is is Chukagian you know regularly fighting at 125 uh, tougher to keep down than than what Hebos has experienced to this point? But uh, I like it. I, I give me Hebos and uh, the first fight that we are on the the uh, opposite sides of. Which, by the way, we've been. I think four fight cards in a row, we've been exactly the same, except for I finally just had to go opposite you one because uh, we've been so uh, like-minded where I went limo. So back on the female side of things, I'm, I'm going opposite here. Uh, but I, I actually didn't necessarily like the limo fight as much as I just thought there's, there's the one-punch power that maybe comes into play here, so why not? This one I legitimately think there is a, like, I'd probably say I'm like 52% Chukagian, 48% Hibas, so it's, it's worth the coin flip. All right, fight number four on this main card. Uh, I say it all the time, death, taxes, and bantamweights. Uh, you can always <laughs> count on the bantamweights to deliver. Lewis Smolka and Davey Grant at 135. Oddshark.com has Davey Grant as the minus 280 favorite, plus 210 for Smolka, the underdog. Um, look, I take uh, comfort in, in a loss that Davey Grant had to, to Cheeto Vera. And that fight was a war. And I left that fight think I left that fight very impressed with, with Cheeto, but I was very, very impressed with Davy Grant. He went out there and put it on uh, Cheeto. And 
and was and could have made a case to to win that fight, but Cheeto kind of came on at the end. But uh, Davy Grant fought a really good fight, and I think this one with with Smolka, uh, I think that um, if he has the same type of performance that he did, that he did against Cheeto, this should be a pretty uh, easy win for him. So I'm going to go with uh, Davy Grant. This is Davy Grant for me all the way. Not just the Cheeto fight, but Adrian Yanez. I mean, that was a terrific yeah, yeah. fight in which uh, yeah. I mean, I thought Yanez was going to. Um, cruise to a win there, and Davy Grant gave Adrian Yanez everything he wanted. Uh, you know, I, I think I going back to his last three fights, if you remember that Jonathan Martinez fight that Davy Grant won, that yeah. was an awesome fight. Um, and then he's had back-to-back losses where even though it's L's, like I feel like his stock has risen with the, those two losses to both Cheeto Vera and uh, and Adrian Yanez. So. Davey Grant for me as well in the bantamweight division. All right, our co-main event is at light heavyweight. Ryan Spann and Ian Kudalaba. Uh, this is also an interesting one that I want to get your take on because uh, I feel like there's kind of a, like, which guy are we getting from both sides of this? By the way, Kudalaba is the favorite at minus 210, plus 165 for Ryan Spann. So I think that this is, like, recency um, because – Kudalaba, his last fight looked really, really good against Devin Clark. Looked like uh, he had really been working on his gas tank. And in earlier fights, it would seem like he would fade before, like after the first round, because he was so frantic and so active and everything. But I think the Devin Clark fight, um, he was able to uh, go all three rounds with not really any any issue. So he looked really good. And then you know Ryan Spann, last fight Anthony Smith in the main event, it was a big spot for him. Uh, but, you know, Anthony Smith got it done. I, I think he hurt Anthony Smith at one point, but but uh, Anthony Smith was able to uh, hurt him back and then get, get him in a weird naked choke. So I kind of feel like at light heavyweight, there wasn't much of a of a striking threat for um, for Kutalaba against Devin Clark. And I think that Ryan Spann definitely has that threat. But I, I do think that if Kutalaba just um, wrestles that he like that's going to be an easy path to, to victory for him but Ryan Spann can definitely could definitely knock him out it just depends on if we're going to get a wild you know exchange in the first round I'm very curious to see how both guys come out but if I had to make a pick um ugh. man if I had to make a pick I'm going with uh, Kutalaba just because he looked so good in his last one, yeah. and um, he can he can wrestle his way to victory. So I'm going with Puchalaba. I like it because uh, that means we're on the opposite side of this light heavyweight matchup. Give me Ryan Spann, and I agree with everything you said. Although here's my perception of this: like Michael Chandler has a path to victory with wrestling, I just don't see how often he's going to use that. And I think Kutalaba could do that, but he's also so unpredictable all over the place. I feel like he's going to trade, and I, I think that's going to play into Ryan Spann's hands. Um, and I also, I, you know, I, I think this is an interesting spot. Ryan Spann coming off the loss, uh, lost two of his last three, really need ha, feel some urgency here. Um, you know, Kudalaba had lost those back-to-back fights against Hamagomed um, um, Ankalaev, uh, and then, like you said, gets the big win over Devin Clark. But I still think he's a guy that is uh, somewhat chaotic in there, and I like in a chaos fight between these two um, the power of Ryan Spann. So. Well, we've got two on this card that we are on the opposite side of, and uh, that takes us to our main event, which is also at 205 in the light heavyweight division. It is the former champion of this division, Jan Blahovich, against Alexander Rakic. Oddshark.com has Rakic as the minus 175 favorite, plus 145 for Polish power Jan Blahovich. 
Now, this could go one of two ways. And I think it all depends on what Jan Blahovich we see. I think we're either going to get a snooze fest of a fight or we're going to get Jan Blahovich, the guy that was the champion. Now, what guy we're going to get? I don't know, man. Is this is this in front of fans or is this at the apex? You know, I believe it's at the apex. Okay, so yes, at the apex. Okay, um, that that kind of swings it a little more in Jan's favor because I think he performs better when there's. I think he performs better when there's nobody in the in the in the in the crowd because uh, he beat Izzy at the apex. He annihilated uh, Dominic Reyes in Fight Island with no fans. His best performances have come. Or, uh, in the biggest moments when there have been no fans. So this, with this fight, um, but that Glover fight, man, I mean, I don't, I don't know who that was because it, it was so shocking because of the guy that we've seen up to this point. And he was like, I remember he was like a minus 300 favorite, something crazy like that. And then he goes out there and just gets completely dominated by Glover Teixeira. So I wonder how much that knocks his confidence. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I... I don't have a pick. <laughs> I don't, Do you want to go opposite my pick? Because I'll give you a pick if you want to go opposite. I'll give you that option. By the uh, way, for the record, I do think the Apex is beneficial to Rockage. Because I think to his style yes, because I think his style works better in a quiet environment than if you have like the fans potentially uh letting Boy, you know their displeasure <laughs> at which uh the style you're trying to fight. So Man. Am I gonna have to insert some music in this part of the podcast so it's not like <laughs> so people don't think like they lost the connection? I you know, I thought come coming into this, I thought I had I thought I had my pick, but like Do you wanna go opposite I, me? I mean, because if I go opposite you, I'm gonna be like, damn, I should have went the other way. I shouldn't have. Well yeah, done but that. you can't make up your mind now, so you might as well. <laughs> Because I know who I'm picking. I know, and this the fact that you're so sure makes me upset. Because I don't, I want to be sure in my pick. <laughs> um, God, okay, all right, man. I'm gonna go ahead and go with fuck. <laughs> I, mean, I know that's, I know that's not an option. I know, I know. <laughs> um, Just give into it. Just give in. All right, all right, all right. Give me Rockage. I made my pick. All right, there we go. Um, Okay, so you're going Alexander Rockage, which uh, ends up being opposite me anyway. So give me Jan Blahovich. Uh, Look, I know the Glover Teixeira fight was a clusterfuck. Um, I'll just say this: Alexander Rockage is not Glover Teixeira. Uh, So I, you know, I'm uh, Glover Teixeira can take big shots, can deliver big shots, and on the ground is a bear. Uh, I don't think Alexander Rockage is that. Like he's good, but I don't. I don't think he is is that. Um, and I think for Rockage, there is an element here of like the Apex. I think does play. It, I I I am dead serious. I think the Apex is better for what he wants to do in this fight. But I also wonder, especially coming off that Tiago Santos fight, if there is somewhat of a pressure for him to not only win but maybe get some style points in the process, which would also play into I think Jan's favor. So. 
Uh, it's it's almost like Jan lost this fight, and now all of a sudden, like nobody believes in him. Um, you know, let's let's give Glover to share a little credit here, and at least give Jan the benefit of the doubt that maybe he took something from that loss and comes out better on the other side. So, Jan Blahovich for me, and Will, I love the fact that the final three fights on or three of the last four fights on this card, we are on the opposite side of. Yeah, you know, I'm you know I I made my rocket pick, so I'm just gonna say some things to make me feel better about okay. it. Um, Jan definitely. Uh, did not show up in that big spot um, it, against Glover Teixeira. It was it was a domination, and now he's fighting a guy who's younger, longer, um, and and Jan is coming off an injury as well. So like, how how much is that playing a factor into this? Because they were supposed to fight um, in March. Yeah. So I mean, not not you know, it, it's May tenth. So um, I, I I wonder like how much that injury is going to affect him, if at all. But you know, I do think that Jan um, Jan is uh, thirty. He's in his late thirties, I, I believe, at this point. Oh yeah, he's so, like 38, 39, with, I believe. Yeah. So with, I mean, so with with Rockage, um, being the younger guy, um, is he really thirty nine? Yep. Jeez. Um, with Rockage being the younger guy, the taller guy, um, he's got kicks and everything. Uh, feeling feeling okay about my pick. Um, okay. I'm still. Like damn, because you know Jan Blahovich is a is a former champion, but um, we'll see. We'll see if he still got that Polish power, man. We'll see if he's if he still got it. All right, buddy. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about this. We'll, uh, I mean, points up for grabs. Uh, so uh, maybe this time a week from now, I'm picking first, or maybe I'm I've dug myself a a devastating hole. Uh, either way, we'll have a lot to talk about, and Saturday night is that much better, knowing that there is uh, rooting interest for both of us. So. There you go. Um, I, I just want to say you're welcome to everybody listening for the hour plus that we gave you exclusively on the lightweight division. So I love talking about that division. I hope you guys love listening to it as much as I love talking about it and uh, everything else we got into uh, during this uh, episode. I, I definitely thought that we were just going to skip everything else yeah. <laughs> after talking about the lightweight division. Uh, we, we went for like an hour just on, on lightweight division and it didn't even seem like it was an hour. It kind of seemed like it was just like 20 minutes. Once you get going, it's just like, wow. That was it's really hard not to hour. when you start talking like Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson. Oh, yeah. And Dustin Poirier, Islam Mahasha, Benil Dariush. Throw Nate Diaz in that because he's been connected to several of those. Like, it's just, yeah, it can it can get away from you. And he didn't even say Conor McGregor. Yeah. And I, did, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even say Conor McGregor there. So there you go. The, and biggest, then the, the, the biggest the, name in the sport. Yeah. And then the, the dogs that are coming up, like yeah. it's. This division is absolutely uh, crazy, man. Love it. It's crazy. Love it. All right, buddy. Uh, we will uh, obviously uh, be in touch on Saturday. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll do it again next week. I don't like how confident you are. I just want to throw that out there. I don't like how confident and happy good. you are about Feeling this. Feeling good. <laughs> I, hey, man, I told you I was 50-50 on the Chukagian and Hibos fight. Hibos is one of my favorites anyway, so I, I'm, you know that was an easy. I'm happy to take that side of it, even though I was like 48% on her, 52 on Chukagian and yeah I mean like who knows what the co-main like I it's kind of a that's that to me is a very much coin flip fight and then I I, I do like Jan Blahovich in the main event so I, I do feel good about that one I don't like it I don't like it good I'm just leaving it at that right where I want you to be <laughs> right where I want you to be that is Will Brewer I'm Colby Daniels everybody have a great rest of your week
the podcast is over.